Hello, and welcome to The Meaning Podcast, an exploration of how spiritual significance emerges from the life and work of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I'm your host, Chris Bonhoff. How do you think about the study of history? Many of us were conditioned to think of history as a set of dates and names to memorize, a static set of facts that suggest the story of the past. But according to longtime Plymouth member Annette Atkins, one studies history to bring today into contact with other times and populations. In the process, new questions emerge that lead to new understandings of both the past and the present. A retired professor of history at St. John's University and the College of St. Benedict, as well as the author of Creating Minnesota, A History from the Inside Out. Annette reflected with me about how she has made meaning out of the study of Minnesota's past, as well as her search for meaning and self-identity in a post-teaching time of life. I didn't go into teaching and I didn't go into history with a spiritual idea, but um, I have come to see what I'm doing and I... I'm I'm willing finally to say this out loud, even in my professional settings, is that I do history in order to change the world, and that's a, that's that's my version of a spiritual exercise. My job is to draw people into the past in a way that enhances their ability to empathize with others, that expands their imagination so that they can see the world from another person's point of view. And I want to do that for them to learn. I mean, I want to use history to teach them how to do that. But I think all history is really about the present. So one way that I talk about the work that I do is asking asking myself and asking students to walk behind the person who we're studying and to look over their shoulder and to see what the world looks like if you stand there. Because I think most history has done me looking at you. And instead, I want to walk around behind and have you look with me at something else. What does the world look like? What does the world look like if you're an 18-year-old Irish immigrant in in Minneapolis in 1900. And so I think that part of what history can do is help people expand that ability. So I say that the the important skills for an historian are not memorization and and dates, um, but um, time and imagination. Yeah. So... I also want people to understand that each of us is shaped by the time that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anything that invites us to understand ourselves better and and more more deeply is a worthy goal.
This, this kind of takes me back to my first term in seminary. Mm-hmm. I was kind of introduced to the idea of the Christian tradition as something that is distinct from the scriptural basis for mm-hmm. a tradition. And uh, something that was really uh, mind-blowing for me was the idea that theologians do not take scripture or other people's interpretations and accept them and pass them on, the whole way you are a theologian is to come into conversation with tradition and other people's contexts, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the lives that other people are living throughout time. Does that kind of connect with how you approach history as well? Yes, it seems to me that all of our disciplines are really about conversation, being in conversation about whatever the material is. And in fact, one of the ways that I have defined different disciplines to my students is we can all study the same thing, but we ask different questions about it. Mm -hmm. And part of what makes a subject interesting are the different questions we can ask. So if you look at Plymouth Church as a theologian, and I look at it as an historian, we're both looking at Plymouth Church, but we're going to see, we're just going to pull out different pieces of it to look at. And my questions are going to be enhanced by your questions, and I'm going to presume that that your questions are enhanced by my questions. Yeah, so I don't think of knowledge as a thing that is settled. I think of knowledge as a thing that is provocative. Yeah. It's there to, to provoke us. It's there to move us. It's there to awaken us. And, and I would say, to me, all of those are so close to spiritual work that I have to think of it. I'm reluctant to call what I do spiritual, but I know in my soul that it's about the Spirit working in each of us that I'm trying to activate and support and encourage. Yeah. And so that is that the aspect of changing the world? The additional questions that arise when you when you bring the past and the present yeah. into contact and those new questions come up. And sometimes what we learn in the present helps us understand better in the past. So I've I've done a lot of work on German Americans in Stearns County. And it feels to me no, feel, thinks, um, that knowing more about those immigrants helps me understand contemporary immigrants better. But I'm not sure that without knowing something about contemporary immigration, I would have thought to ask these questions about those German immigrants in the 19th century. So that I know, for example, that many of them didn't come to become Americans. They came because they wanted greater opportunity, and this was the place where they were going to find it. So they didn't come in order to change their identity. They didn't come in order to learn to speak English. So they're still speaking German in the second generation and in the third generation. So why would I expect more recent immigrants to quick learn English? They're not going to. And it then makes me think, if I were an immigrant what language would I want my children to speak? 
I mean, so that's the that's the way I think that all of those things interact. And my hope is that if I can teach more people about the nuances and the complexity of German immigration, that we can be more open to the complexity of recent immigration, or I mean, whatever the whatever the two situations are, that they each illuminate the other. For the purpose of like furthering empathy for being able to understand the people around you is is that and yourself and our and ourselves i mean how is it that i am shaped by the times that i'm in and that i think i think for example if we study marriage in the past we come to understand that marriage is not a given it's not a set of requirements which i think opens the door to people thinking about, okay, so how do we design our marriage for us? Yeah. It doesn't have to be the way that it has always been because at another time it suited different purposes, at another time different purposes, which means it's malleable. Yes. It's not a given. Yeah, some things are unlocked. Yeah, so that there's a kind of freedom also then. So I think we can get caught in our own historical context and history gives us a can opener to open that so that we can climb out a little bit. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. It's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> where where do you feel like you're being led these days? Hmm. You used the term the spirit if you were t to take a second and try to identify mm -hmm. the spirit in your own life. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, in, it's interesting because I think since I stopped teaching full-time, I've been kind of adrift. And I think because I have invested so much of my spiritual life or my thinking about spirit into that work, that without that work... I haven't, I haven't found a new place to sort of to express that in the same way. Yeah, you see, what you see is me thinking about about this. Is I hadn't thought about it quite in those, in those terms before. Um, who am I now that I'm not a teacher? Um, who am I now that I'm not actively? trying to shape other people's lives. Uh, and and I don't have an answer right now. And it's some of my disquiet in the present is that I can't I can't quite find that. So some part of um, some part of my work right now is to find the spirit in myself more than looking for it in my in my students. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that that is I mean, that's that's very specific to a, you know, kind of a a, a retirement kind of time mm -hmm. of life. But I think that pandemic yeah. has kind of uh brought that space to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been very good at knowing what I want separate mm -hmm. from being attentive to what other people want. Mm -hmm. And not being surrounded right now by so many other people, 
finding my way back to myself is kind of uncharted territory. Yeah. I mean, something that, that um, I've been spending a certain amount of time thinking about lately is the connection between the I and the we, Yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, there's, there's the body of Christ idea of the church. There's Ubuntu, you know, I am because we are, um, and it, you know, so much of the spirit is, is in that space, mm-hmm. uh, in that relationality. Uh, and when, when that relationship changes, um, it makes sense that there would be um, disorientation. Well, to, to be in a relationship, you need to have a strong eye. If you if the eye gets diluted by the we, the nature of the relationship is less stable. It seems to me. So it's figure out who am I? I, I which isn't. I don't mean that. I don't mean that in an ego way so much as. Um, holding my place in a group of people who are also holding their places so that we can be authentic and true with each other. Annette mentioned using stories from the past to help see the present differently. Is today's world making you think differently about the past or vice versa? Is there new empathy that emerges for you when considering an aspect of the past? And how do you hold this complicated relationship between the I and the we? Thanks to Jimmy Hulse for our theme and to Max Brunel for additional music. And thank you for listening. Is this podcast succeeding in helping you make meaning out of your life? Or not so much? We'd be grateful to hear your feedback at meaning at Plymouth.org. Meaning is a production of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. All blessings on your path.